Um, so my reading is from Revelation chapter 1, just two verses, verses 5 and 6. And it says, Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood, and he has made us to be a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. To him be the glory and the might forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. Yes, amen. So each of the readings that we've been looking at today, we have just been reading them. We haven't been explaining them as we go, obviously. But each of these readings have to do with the kingship of Christ. So on Sunday, we talked about the pro prophetic, the fact that Christ is our prophet. We talked about the priesthood, how Christ is our priest. And here today, we're reading these scriptures that really all relate to Jesus as our king, there's so many, if you go back through those verses and read them, there's so many words that are kingly words. And as you read them, if you have time to read them again tomorrow or tonight, you'll see what we mean by that. How he is lifting up a horn of salvation. How he is bringing down the mighty from their thrones. How he's finally answering the promise that he made to David. All of these are kingly promises, are kingly concepts. And we see the same thing here in the final book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 1. This is just verse 5 and 6. This is um, as Jesus comes and he's going to give this revelation to John and John's going to share it. This is the way that he's described. Faithful witness, firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, the one who loves us and released us from his, our sins by his blood, who made us a kingdom of priests. To him be glory and might. Again, it's kingly language. The Bible is a cohesive story. It's not a bunch of disconnected you know, stories that someone shoved together because they found some in a clay pot and then they decided to add it in at the end of Isaiah. That's not the way that it works. This is a cohesive, consistent story, a meta-narrative that is founded in Christ as the author and it points towards Christ in this final book of the Bible as we see Jesus coming back as our king. So look at these titles one at a time. He's the faithful witness. You know, the son of God was born to display his father to the world. That's what we talked about the other day, how Jesus comes as a prophet, that he was born to display his father to the world, which makes him ultimately unique from anyone else who carried that prophetic role because the scripture says that he came as the word of the father made flesh incarnate. That he is the, the visible image of an invisible God. That Jesus says in John that he obeyed the father fully and that he did everything the father told him to do. And he said everything that the father wanted him to say. That Jesus was the perfectly obedient son and from a kingly perspective, we see he was the perfectly obedient son or king in training, this perfectly obedient prince, the one who would do everything that his father told him to do so that when it was his turn to reign and reign he will, he knows exactly how to honor his father. 
as that perfect prince. Jesus learned obedience through suffering. He modeled obedience to his father, even to the point of death. That Jesus is the faithful witness where every other witness had failed. That's why the prophet Isaiah refers to him prophetically as the second Israel. The second title we see, and this is the firstborn of the dead. That he is the firstborn, that's the only begotten, the monogenes, the rightful heir to all, because he is the first fruit of the resurrection. He is the first one resurrected, not the first one revived, someone who's brought back from death to live only to die again, but he's the first one who's resurrected, who dies and then is brought back to life to live eternally. He is the firstborn, the rightful heir, that upon his death and upon his resurrection, he ushered in the beginning of a new humanity as the second new Adam. That Jesus, born in the likeness of sinful flesh, was born to die, only then to be raised in power and in the newness of life, and therefore become the heir who is worthy to receive all things of which we are part of. Then now, Philippians 2, 5 to 11, says that he has been crowned with glory as the king over everything, and now he is establishing a new humanity, a humanity that is not born of the will of a man or the will of a father or the will of flesh, but a humanity that is reborn of the Spirit of God. Jesus is the firstborn of the dead. The third title we see here is the ruler of the kings of the earth. Because of his obedience to the Father, the New Testament argues that Jesus was crowned with glory and that he was declared Lord. Remember at the end of the book of Matthew, a, a gospel that is entirely about the kingdom theme of Jesus as the promised one who would come in the covenant of David, Jesus comes in Matthew 28, verse 18, and he says, All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. That Jesus, in his death, burial, and resurrection, he was then given a name above every name. A name that one day, at that name, every knee will bow on heaven and earth and under the earth. Because all authority has been given to him. He is crowned currently as king, but he is yet to enforce his rule because he says that he is being patient, not desiring any to perish, but all to come to eternal life. He waits patiently as the ruler of the kings. He waits patiently for the kings and the peoples of this earth to willingly bend the knee to this greater king of kings. John continues and says, to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood. Do you realize this king was not born in a palace somewhere to be distant and aloof? This king was born in a stable. He was laid down in a feeding trough. He was wrapped in linens surrounded by straw and animals and a young woman who wanted her mother nearby and instead she was stuck with Joseph, <laughs> snapping at him. 
serving the worthless dregs of society. That's what Jesus did. That's how he was born. That's what his birth represented, that Jesus was born into the lowliest place because it was to the lowliest place that he would go for the depths of love that he would serve the dregs of society. He would dine with prostitutes. He would die a criminal's death. What king would do that? But not for love. And it's for this reason that this king of kings, this faithful witness, this firstborn of the dead, this ruler of the kings of the earth also can be acquainted with all of our sorrows. What does this mean? It means that unlike the politicians who use our votes and our livelihoods in a giant tug-of-war match, Jesus does not view us as a political pawn with human disinterest, but instead he views us with love, that he goes to the depths to save the one. He leaves the 99 to save the one sheep. Actually, the way it's described in the book of 1 John is this. Jesus died to destroy the works of the devil by releasing us from the power of sin and death. And this cost was his own blood on the cross. That's what Christianity is all about. It's not about some new set of rules for you to follow. Christianity is about a king who left his rightful place so that he could go and pursue a princess and he could go and, like I said the other day, slay the dragon and pull her out of the dregs, clean her up and make her his bride and then crown her with glory and honor because she has become one flesh with him in this sacred covenant marriage. This costs his own blood. That Jesus entered into death like a Trojan horse, and then destroyed sin and death from the inside out as he burst forth from that tomb, creating a new humanity. And John continues, and this God, this faithful witness, this firstborn of the dead, this ruler of the king of kings, this one who loves us and who released you from the power of sin and death, which is the gospel, by the way, this one has also made us If you are in Christ, he has made us, he has made you into a kingdom of priests. There's no spiritual hierarchy. There's no favorites. If you are in Christ, you are highly valued. This risen one born to die, born to be our Lord, born to be our king is making us into his kingdom. And no longer, if you are in Christ, you belong to this world, but instead we belong to his. We belong to the kingdom of God and we are priests forever serving him day and night in his presence, trusting in him and loving one another because this is the essence of the kingdom of God. Love, love as defined by God, not as defined by us. And because he first loved us, we can love one another. And because of his sacrifice, we know what love is. And then John concludes, almost, to him be glory and might. Could there be another response? 
Could there be another response? If all of this is true, look, if this isn't true, then you came out on a chilly night and you could have stayed at home. If it is true, it matters. If it is true, if this king is real, then he's a lot bigger than Queen Elizabeth and he's a lot bigger than whatever your favorite president is, right? He's bigger than all of that. The only proper response to this kind of king, if this kind of king is in fact the king that we worship, is worship and adoration and praise and exaltation, that our our desire should be to scream at the top of our lungs and to praise him with all of our might, to lay down our lives willingly for any cause that he might give and to proclaim him boldly because his message is, is good news. And when do we do, how long do we do that for? Well, until he comes with the clouds, with every eye seeing him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. We do all of this until he comes back, and he is coming back. If you were reading along in the Pastor John Piper Advent book that we gave out those copies a couple days ago, um, Pastor John Piper wrote this in his devotional. He said, and hear this, okay, because you can relate to this. He said, one of these days, lightning is going to fill the sky from the rising of the sun to its setting. And there is going to appear in the clouds one like a son of man with his mighty angels in flaming fire. And we will see him clearly, whether from terror or sheer excitement, we will tremble. And we will wonder, this is the key clause here, we will wonder how we ever lived with such a domesticated, harmless Christ. Can you imagine when we actually see him as he is, not as our culture has created him to be, but as we see him as the king who comes with king of kings and lord of lords tattooed on his hip in a blaze of fire with lightning, with an army of angels, we will wonder how on earth, even for a moment, we thought him to be small. Just close your eyes with me for a a minute or two. And let's just sit in silence as we ponder his majesty. And then I'm going to pray before we go into these next few songs.